Hey, welcome to this episode of Hollywood Breaks, a special episode where we talk about the Oscars, what it means to us and our culture, and we pick winners, our favorites, and other conversations. So welcome to this episode and enjoy the show. Hey, I want to talk to you guys about the Oscars, obviously, coming up in a couple of days, I know. But before we dive into it, I read a New York Times article this morning about the the death of Hollywood. It's probably how I would summarize it. Um, and... Uh, Again, sometimes I feel like when we're totally in sync with in the world, don't you, Keith, where some people are like saying the same things we're saying on this podcast of there's definitely something that's changed. There's a shift that's taking place. Um, but the author, uh, Ross, was basically kind of putting out there that the shift in Hollywood is reflective in the Oscars. So people's lack of attention for the Oscars is kind of the same shift of what's happening in the theaters and, and what have you. I have a little bit different perspective on that, but I'm kind of curious if you guys were to compare the state of the industry or kind of like where you think Hollywood is and the Oscar show that we're about ready to dive into. Do you think there's a correlation to what the audience is for both of those? Uh well, this is what I would say about the article. So Roth Douthout, I always butcher his name, um, wrote a book, as you and I have talked about a lot, Tim, called The Decadent Society. And the essential thesis of it is like culturally, we're burned out. We're lazy. We don't want to push anymore. So we're just basically rehashing things over, making t- twinks, uh, tinkers around the edges. Like, you know, how many, how many iPhones do we need? But it's not really improving on the iPhone. It's just the same thing over and over again. You know, the nostalgia factor of all the movies that are being remade, all this stuff. So the the thrust of his article is basically the Oscars have been sort of declining for years. And that's because movies as we know it have been declining for years. Um, His, you know, basically there's a lot of movies that are nominated this year, like King Richard, um, West Side Story, Dune, all sort of big pop culturally films that you would normally expect to make tons of money. They didn't. Um, But again, this is all with the COVID asterisks, of course. And, you know, he's basically saying that the Oscars are failing because movies are failing. And I don't, I, I take a different perspective, much like you do, Tim. I think what's happening is the industry itself has survived several attempts to destroy it, i.e. VHS, um, TV, Robin, I don't know if you remember this presentation that Jim Giannopoulos gave shortly after he took over at Fox, and he literally threw up the headlines that said, the industry's done, it's over, blah, 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 blah. And that, yeah, and then it literally showed the dates, and it was like the date when television came along, and then when VHS came along, and then when DVD came along. So it's just like, oh, we've been down this road before, we don't need to change anything. But now I think the realization is we do need to change things. And I think the industry is sort of like tinkering around the edges versus diving in. And I think what, how we define movies sort of is in the 90s, when it was sort of like the heyday of Titanic and Gladiator and into the 2000s and these sort of epic cultural movies may be waning. But I, I think the reality is that unless things change and change is made from a like sort of uh, you know, the theatrical experience, the Oscar show itself, all these things. And if they just keep tinkering around the edges, then yeah, movies are toast. I mean, I think they'll always be relevant. Yeah, Robin, the title of the article is, we aren't just watching the decline of the Oscars. We're oh, watching man. the end of the movies. 
Um, so, and he, you know, genuinely, I think he is addressing some of the same items we address on the podcast, which is there is a shift in viewership. There is a shift in technology, but even a shift in desire of how we consume content. Yeah. I mean, look, I think there's, there's so much to talk about there and it's like almost like three separate things, the decline of movies, decline of Oscars, but they all are interwoven together. Um, you know, I'll, I'll talk about decline of movies as it relates to Oscars, um, just for the sake of time. It's like, if you look at the movies over the past decade, um, or even 20 years, like you look at the past movies for the past 20 years and the movies that were nominated for best picture and how, you know, Keith, you mentioned it, they used to be like the Titanics of the world and even the avatars of the world. And then it started to, the movies that started to be nominated were movies that people weren't even able to see if you didn't live in LA and New York. And they were in, available and limited release only until after the Oscars. And then all the people could watch them once, you know, there was demand for that movie. Once they went, oh, what's, what's this little movie Juno that everybody's talking about that's only available in LA and New York. And, oh, let's re-release it after the Oscars now that, you know, it has all this attention. And, and that, I, I think that already kind of shows where Hollywood was, you know, I don't think they intended to do this and nobody intends to do this. It all comes from money. So in the beginning it was like, Oh, we don't want to spend the money to release this movie and a wide release theater. Cause no one is going to see it. And we're also a small, you know, distributor, we don't have the money to do a wide release kind of campaign. Um, so, you know, you kind of have to do it that way to save money. I get it. But that alone is kind of setting it up for once those become the definition, the new definition of art, right? The new definition of what a good movie is, mm -hmm. um, it, you're not even, the wide audience isn't even able to see that. They're not even able to until after it's getting all that attention. Yeah. So you're already kind of prioritizing the audience and not even realizing that you're doing that. And if you ask the audience like what the best movie was from this year, um, <laughs> as it relates to box office, it would be Spider-Man mm -hmm. easily. But that's nowhere near. That's exactly yeah. one of his points yeah. is like all these revered movies, but we're not actually addressing what people went to right. the theaters right. to watch. People in the theaters watch Spider-Man and yet there was a three hour movie about people driving each other <laughs> in a car. Like that doesn't, right. nobody, I didn't even know that movie existed. Yeah. I didn't see one piece. No one's even watching these movies. No. Like, so you look, if, do you want, so then as it relates to Oscars, like if you want ratings, then people need to be able to see the movies so that they have something to root for and people aren't watching the movies. So they don't really care to watch the Oscars anymore. And it, 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 you can't, if you, if you want both, you have to have both. And if you actually look at the Oscar ratings, when they had the highest ratings over the past 20 years, you'll see that movies that were in the best picture race, there were more that were over a hundred million in box office. And it's a lot harder to measure now when you've got Netflix and Apple and Disney, and there's no transparency in terms of viewership. So we don't really know. We kind of right. know, we know what they tell us, you know, we see Encanto come out and they, talk about how many times people are rewatching it, which I completely believe. Cause I think my daughter is, you know, takes for like 30 million of those, maybe give or take. <laughs> I believe that there are other families out there who are watching that, but you know, it's, it's, I mean, that's what we're dealing with now. Um, well, and I'll tell you from, from my point of view is, is I think the movies, the Juno movies of the world, 
do do still exist. And we actually do watch them and consume them. But there's something unusual about our consuming habit that's changing our perspective of if it's Mm. a movie or not. So I do watch content on a regular basis that is pretty amazing or cre- creates a, a dialogue or has opportunity for, you know, a different worldview. That's, that's pretty awesome. But sometimes when I'm watching it, it's on a platform that I don't feel like I went to the theaters to watch. And then that theatrical items are ones that I feel like are appealing to you, like the Spider-Mans and, and animated films or whatever, where it's supposed to be like a group think moment. And, and maybe so the evolution isn't in the creators necessarily, but it's in the consumers. And then when you say, hey, let's make an award show about it, you're like, well, what, what's qualified and what's not anymore? So then you're like, oh, now, now you go like, oh, this foreign film about a chauffeur <laughs> and a, you know, an artist being driving around. You're like, okay, well, I guess that's relevant because the platform allows for this very wide range nowadays. And just because I haven't seen it because it didn't fall into a, a technological mm-hmm. filter that is transferred to me that gives me access to films that the evolution of my consuming habit is somewhat changing. Well, another thing I think, I think there's two things going on here. One, it's a cultural thing. We can't agree on anything anymore. Like if you think back to when like Titanic won best picture and you know, that. Are you just setting us up for this, the rest of the show, Keith, right here by saying we don't agree on anything anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what I'm saying is culturally, like we can't agree on much of anything anymore. So how are we going to agree on what constitutes a good movie, right? Like we just can't, we, you know, and everyone, no one really, there's no trust anymore. And, you know, there's, we talk a lot about sort of the lack of trust in sort of storied institutions. Well, Hollywood is one of those storied institutions and a vast majority of the public does not trust anything coming out of Hollywood. And I think that it's harder to do that with a comic book movie than it is to do with a movie about someone being driven around all day, right? Um, And the second thing that I think is going on, and this is a big pet peeve of mine, is what is a movie? Like, we have not really sort of set that definition. And the Academy, which is a a motion picture arts and sciences, which is the entire title, is supposed to to defend the movie. But what did they do? They said, no. Two weeks, you're fine. New York or LA, and you're a movie. Well, that just set the. Hey, Robin's ready to jump in, in here. I get to see she's like. <laughs> Look, I don't think I think a movie can be a movie as long as it's for somebody, and uh, like that doesn't bother me. And like the Academy, I love that. What's that idea? As long as it's for somebody, I love that caveat. As long as it's for somebody, right? And um, yeah. look, I, I think. It, it, you know, it all comes back to, it, you touched on it, Keith, I think, and it was this whole idea of like the culture wars and how we can't agree on anything anymore. And I think a big part of the disconnect between Hollywood and audiences has become this like, nobody wants to be preached to, whether it's in their Oscar acceptance speeches or even in the movies themselves, people are feeling like they're being preached to because so many of the movies have a political agenda or a social commentary. Like there's few movies that are just, you know, th- that are just, for everyone now there's a lot of the movies have a specific audience that is targeting a specific culture and it's like you know i think a big part of it is you look at last year's oscars right which was like abysmal uh ratings 10 what 10 million 10.4 10 yeah 
I think people, more people watch Super Bowl commercials right. than watch <laughs> right. the Oscars. <laughs> but it's not surprising to me. And it wasn't just because of the movies. It was also, we were in a global pandemic. Like, it was tone deaf. They should never have done the Oscars last year. And what they should have done is, I, look, I get that, you know, they should have scrapped the show. But they didn't want to do that. And I get that there's there's talent and directors and people who deserve to be recognized for the movies that they did that year. I absolutely agree with that. But at the same time, like, yeah, it like it sucks to scrap it. But guess what? Then it just sucks for those people. Like, I'm sorry. It sucks for you guys. Let's roll it. it let's figure out another solution. Let's roll it into next year's uh, Academy. Or let's just do like scrap the show. Take that money and put it towards something that matters. How about right now COVID relief? Do like a telethon or something. <laughs> Duh. Right. Take that money and put it towards something that matters. And then. Like, then it sucks for you guys. I'm sorry. But instead, it was like, no, we're going to prioritize uh, these few people and it's going to suck for everybody else. And that's what happens. Like, yeah. they prioritize Hollywood yeah. instead of instead of doing it for the audiences where. So are we ready for the the reboot then? I like they're obviously trying to. There's been a lot of PR around the the three hosts of the show. There's a lot of. PR around the opportunity that having the change of the format so that we're looking at a kind of different show or kind of highlighting only the items that matter. Well, look, I don't agree with that either. But I, I'll, I'm going to say like, can we all admit at least that we're, I'm a fan of the Oscars. I'm going to watch it regardless. I do anyway. I, I do know. too. It's just kind of but, what I've been doing for yeah. 30 something years. I think what, what they did is, I mean, look, the press that they're getting on that um, you know, you, you take away the Academy and you look at it from a, a far distant standpoint of what it was in, originally intended to do. And it's to celebrate the art of making movies. You can't take away that from people and decide what you think is worthy of time. I think that's a pretty shitty thing to do, honestly. And the only people who are paying attention and the only people who care are, are people who are already going to watch the Oscars anyway people in the industry, nobody on the outside cares. They're not going to be like, oh, they're taking out, you know, I heard they're taking out editing this year. So let's watch. They don't care. They're not going <laughs> to, they don't, they're not going to watch it. Like they don't care. Robin, you're never going to be able to hire another editor again. You're toast. Well, that's, no, that's <laughs> what I'm, no, I'm saying like, that's the whole point. Like removing the presentations. Right. I don't know who the editor was anyway. I don't relate to them. Yeah. Yeah. That's smart. That's removing smart. the presentations of those doesn't is not going to improve viewership. It's not. Like that all it's gonna do is piss off the people who worked very hard on these movies who should be recognized. I think there's other creative ways that the Academy could have addressed the situation. And it all comes back to also like what the definition of art is. If you want better ratings, then recognize the movies that audiences are watching. Otherwise, you're gonna deal with the ratings that you have, right? Like that that's kind of what it is. Like I don't that, that's what it is. And don't worry, it is art and science yeah. too. I mean, when you take yeah. out the technical side, you're kind of pushing it to, <clears throat> hey, it's really about yeah. the red carpet. Matter of fact, why don't they just broadcast the red carpet and leave the rest of it behind closed doors? <laughs> that might be just fine. All right, let's get to the show a little bit. Let's get to the show because- Well, that's what they used to do. They used to do that. They used to just be in a ballroom and then they would just announce them and, and newspapers were running. I know. Keith, that was I a wasn't. long time ago. You might have been alive back then, but the Shirley Temple days yeah. are way behind us. Do you know what? Like the most interesting thing to me was like last year when you look at the Oscars, nobody remembers anything about the Oscars and like their acceptance speeches. Nobody cares. And it was 
what they should have done is scrapped it, like I said, and then just had acceptance speeches online and made it a publicity stunt to use that money and put it towards something good that helps everybody. Like that would have been a real, that would have gone a long way with audiences in Hollywood, I think. But also like the thing that stands out to me the most of what people paid attention to and what went viral was like when Jason Sudeikis was accepting his award in the tie dye shirt and like people cared about that because he was real because he was like the rest of us. He wasn't in a room, you know, breaking protocol like everybody else was, right? Like he was doing- Yeah, right, how funny. <laughs> I'm just saying like, this is where the, this is where there's a disconnect with audiences in Hollywood. I mean, it's the same thing when you start seeing all the headlines, like what gets the press is, oh, they're not, they don't have to mask up and we're not gonna check if they're vaccinated. And like, you know, you're gonna get, you're gonna get people talking about that. That might be before the vaccinations. I don't know. I can't remember what the schedule. I can't remember. No, time I'm talking about now. I'm right talking now. about now, Oscar. The press that you're getting on the outside that aren't, you know, industry people, that's the press that the Oscars is getting. And that's right. not good. That's not good. Nope. So. You know what I, I do appreciate, though, is it's still like a center of a cultural event. Even if no one's watching it, people are talking about not watching mm -hmm. it, which kind of goes to show you that we still care about it. We, huh. we want something that's different. Yeah. Um, hey, let's talk about the Best Picture nominees because there's a, there's a wide range that's kind of being chosen. I think extending the Best Picture to, I think it's 10 slots now. It's very interesting. I'm sure the vote, it changes all voting protocol when you're voting for out of, you know, the best out of 10, you get a, probably not a maximum number of votes. And I think that shifts a lot of the outcome of it. Um, yeah, I have it. But do you guys have a list in front of you? There's, a, I mean, there's a lot to, to go through here. Um, but let's just kind of walk through what our best ideas are. You know, we have Nightmare Alley, which is Guillermo del Toro and very visually appealing. You know, great storytelling, interesting opportunity. Yeah. Don't Look Up, that kind of tongue-in-cheek uh, Netflix movie. Uh, Dune, if you've been watching this podcast, you know my opinion, Dune, incredible film. He did an amazing job. Overall picture is just wonderful visually storyline. Drive My Car, which, you know, to me is the one that I am mm -hmm. least familiar with, but I know it's like a personal relationship mm -hmm. film, which I appreciate there's something in there of saying, hey, let's, there's more of a, more to filmmaking than just the visual appeal. Belfast, Kenneth Branagh's biopic, um, love that one. And the, the child actor in there is really great. Lucas Pizza, uh, PTA, and another one of his great films, Power of the Dog, very actor-centric uh, film. And we kind of know all the press around that. West Side Story, have no idea why this is even on Spielberg, this list at all. Why. King Richard, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. I'm just kidding on that one a little bit. Uh, best, uh, King Richard, which is a Will Smith uh, venture there. Um, I thought he did a great job of getting that done. And then Coda, uh, which well, I'll talk to you about Coda in a second when I express who I think should win Best Picture. But let's hear what you guys are thinking. What's Which one are you guys thinking? I mean... We can go through each one. I think uh, you started off with Nightmare Alley. Um, look, Guillermo is fantastic. I think he's so cinematic. And he's one of those directors who you just know who you're watching as soon as you turn it on because his aesthetic, like he's very, it reminds me of like a Baz Luhrmann or, um, you know, like, like as soon as you see it, you know who it is, who's behind it. And I think there's something really special about that. And 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 that's what set that movie apart for me. The movie itself um, was dark. It was interesting. It was good. I, I, I thought it was fine. 
Yeah, but so cinematic. Oh, yeah. I mean, that is a theatrical experience mm-hmm. through and through. Such a great. Yeah, it was it was long um, yeah. and slow at times, but uh, it was still beautiful. There's a great story there and wonderful acting. And again, the world that he created, I thought was awesome. Um, what was it? West Side Story. Let's touch on that. I know how you guys feel about it. I've been listening. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, look, I'm not. Here's what I'll say to you guys expectation is the root of all heartache. And I think you guys went in with huge expectations and rightfully so it's Steven Spielberg on one of the most perfect, uh, you know, movies arguably uh, ever. And uh, so I think everyone's going to go in with high expectations, but I actually, I actually liked the movie, but I was a theater major. So, you know, I'll say that. So was I, by the way, I I was a theater major. I could appreciate Um, but you know, I think I liked it cause it just felt like a love letter to the original and, uh, and that's good. That was good enough for me. Do I think, but best picture, on, Robin, come well, on. Well, hold on. So uh, look, it's Steven. So that's why he's getting nominated for it. But here's what I would say. If it wasn't Steven doing that movie and somebody else delivered the exact same movie, I actually think the press would be all, people would be so amazed by it. Like, so I think because it's Steven, there's high expectation there. And again, like it's because he is, I mean, he is, there's what other director, there isn't one who he is bigger than the movies he makes. He is. Like even James Cameron mm. isn't bigger than the movie he makes, but Steven is. Yeah, but I wish Kenneth Branagh would have directed West Side Story because Kenneth Branagh has a better, kind of a better visual eye and a better understanding of storytelling. And I just felt like the whole movie was... I don't, I don't like it just didn't have it missed the mark so much. I understand where you're coming from. I totally get it. And it's, it, you know, but I, I, I actually thought there were some really beautiful scenes and like the scene when they're in the dance and like, I really enjoyed, you know, all the color and all the, I mean, the dance sets were amazing. Um, but yeah, I agree. It didn't add that much. Best. The word best means think about your, yeah, like Nightmare Alley has a lot of that. No, I don't think it was the best. And it's not my favorite. It's not my favorite. But I didn't hate it as much. And I do want to say one thing Ariana, uh, Ariana DeBose is like, she should win and she stole the movie. And I also think that if Hollywood, you know, if she's the future of Hollywood, then we're in good hands because that girl is like, she's the triple threat. She is what, she reminds me of old Hollywood, like Fred Astaire and, um, you know, uh, Jane Russell, like these people who were who could do everything. Like she is, she is amazing. Huge fan. I hope she wins. Um, yeah. Sorry, I digress. And we said, what is my favorite? Yeah. Which film? Which film would you be yours choice then? Yeah. Well, what, yeah. Which one do you think is going to win? Or should we go by what her, what your favorite is? I have two favorites, and uh, so I will say my favorite was Coda. Like, but my. My yes. aunt is deaf, Robin, so I'm biased also. But like, so it also was very personal for me. It felt that way to me. But I just thought the movie was, uh, it, it was brilliant. Like it was beautiful. It was about family, about sacrifice. It's It was a movie that we need right now uh, as a nation. I actually, I absolutely, you know, it felt real and human and um. And we connected with characters that I totally agree. Yeah, for me, like what I liked is, and that's it. It's a it's a connection to other people that I don't necessarily have yeah. exposure to, and they told me a story about their life. And I, I, I know it's fictional, but like there's a great like 
connection that I had. Films have that right. ability to introduce you to a different yeah. world. Such a great yeah. job. And, uh, you know, honestly, it's like very sweet, very straightforward. It's a, it's a good film. Right. It's uh, a sound. Thing. Well, Keith has a different opinion. Coda and, uh, and then I loved Belfast and, um, I thought Belfast was um, special. And I think like when you talk about making movies for somebody, um, I mean, look, he defined it like for, uh, was it for the ones who stayed for the ones who left and for the ones we lost. And I just thought like the music was, I mean, I love Van Morrison too, but um, like uh, it was like another character in the movie. It was so beautifully shot the acting was gorgeous. Like to me, I want Kenneth Branagh to win best director. I think it was mm -hmm. like wholly original. And, um, I just, I absolutely loved it. Yeah. And I also would say right, if right the Academy, you. I mean, everyone keeps talking about the Academy going for uh, a streamer this year, but if the Academy, you know, doesn't want to do that, I could see Belfast pulling through and actually taking best picture because of that reason, because the Academy's reluctant to give it to a streamer. Sure. All right, Keith, what do you got? Well, all right. I have to confess. I have not seen all of them. Um, I've only seen like three or four. Well, three of them, I think. So I can't really weigh in sort of in the quality, but what I will do since you two sort of tackled that aspect of it, I'll tackle the ones that I, the one I think is going to win. And I, I think it's going to be Coda. Um, because two reasons, one, they won, uh, the SAG award, which for those of you who don't know, I believe, and I think this is still true, although they've changed the numbers on membership, the acting branch is the largest branch voting branch of the Academy. So if they win the award, that usually leans things their direction. And then it also took the PGA award for best picture producers guild. So right now, all the momentum is behind, um, Coda. So, but as Robin said, the X factor is, will the Academy finally give it to a streamer? Um, I think that ship has sailed. And I think now the streamers are part of the Academy. Um, as I said earlier, the two week release, that's all they have to do to qualify. So they're, they're as Academy standards, they're considered a movie. So I think, I think Coda's got a shot now. Is an upset possible? Absolutely. And I think Robin makes a great point about Belfast. Uh, I think that one's definitely up there. Um, and then obviously there's the power of the dog, although that has been waning in the, in the last few weeks. Uh, I think Oscar voting closed on Tuesday. So the momentum was leaning towards Coda. Like, like I said, they won the SAG, they won the PGA. So I think right now it's, the, it's in Coda's favor. I think it also may be that if we're going to get political about it, that the Academy won't stick it to Netflix because they feel that Ted Sarandos has been chasing an Oscar for like since they started releasing movies. And I think there's a little bit, even though Apple and Netflix kind of have been spending the same amount of money in terms of promoting their awards, promoting their movies. There's still this sense that Netflix is just a machine and they just want that gold statue for their lobby. And that's all they care about. Whereas, you know, Apple just, you know, Tim Cook just floats down from Cupertino and is like, oh, yes, I will pay 30 million for this. Thank you. And then just throws it up on his little service. And I like how he floats in your life. <laughs> well, well, you know, he's 
It's got all the money in the world. So anyway. All right. So I appreciate both that because I, but I'll say one is I also think Coda should win Best Picture. Obviously, I've already expressed that. There's something that they did so well. And I, Robin, I'm with you, Belfast. Um, I just would echo the same thing you're saying. So no reason to repeat it. I find it interesting though in Coda that even while watching it, sometimes I know I'm watching a Netflix movie or sometimes I know I'm watching an Amazon movie. When I was watching this, I... It took me, I, I had to almost remind myself, oh yeah, Apple did this. They bought it. And I would remind us that Apple- They bought it. I know, but it was released by them, right? I know, that's why, well, at their studio that they purchased things, that's fine. That's a big difference though, because you're talking about, net. you know a sure. Netflix movie, because it, I know how much you love the quality of Netflix movie. They shot the power, they paid for the power of the dog. That wasn't an acquisition. Apple swooped in sure. on at the Sundance, virtual Sundance, and just said, we want this, and they, Outbid him. Can you blame them though? The movie's fantastic. No, I, I don't blame them. No, I'm just saying. It's incredible. Yeah, they won. And I'll say, you know, you got to remember that they did release Inconvenient Truth. Like, don't forget, Apple has been a player in films since that. Like, they're not outside of that, the studio space right. and studio thinking. Um, but I, I'll say this, and you know how much I love Netflix. You know, Netflix actually is doing something different. What I don't like about Netflix is they're making a bunch of content that's just consumable. Mm -hmm. They turned it content into a consumable commodity. And I think that's hurtful to the industry, but they have been backers of some pretty amazing mm -hmm. talent and creators. And when they put their effort behind it, which I think Power of the Dog was something they tried to actually say, hey, let's think differently about this. They got a different result. So there is something about what Netflix is doing strategically that makes me curious about how they will evolve in their decision-making over time. And it might change. My, no, <laughs> it won't change anything about what I think about them. All right, let's go to a uh, best uh, uh, actor just for this. Cause uh, I do want, I want to say something about power of the dog though, because everyone's talking about it. And I do think it's important to, there were, there's a couple things with that movie. It's like, and I, I sent this to Keith while you're talking on the phone or texting, I think a few, I don't know, a week ago or something. Yeah. Um, and after I saw the movie, I, again, I went in with super high expectations because everybody's loving and loving this movie. But it, to me, Power of the Dog was, it was so beautifully shot, right? Like everything that you see is gorgeous. And, but here was my problem with that. And, and it was none of those beauty shots moved the story forward, yeah, right? And so I had um, zero connection with any of the characters I did, I was not emotionally invested in any one of them. And like, to me, a great director is someone who can connect all those dots, right? And so you take someone like a Tony Scott, who every single shot is deliberate and nothing's wasted. And, or, you know, you look at the Copacabana scene in Goodfellas, like, I know that's the, the quintessential one that everybody talks about, but there's a reason for it. Like, you go, you show up to the, you, they show up to the Copacabana, Karen's standing there, there's a huge line, and he's like, let's go around the kitchen. And he takes her through the kitchen, he knows every single person down there, he's high-fiving people, and she's just like, oh my God. They, it's one camera shot, it's brilliant. One take, yeah. And then they go, yeah. they work their way through the crowd, they set up a table that doesn't even exist for him in the very front of the show, and he slips someone a 20, all to serve the next line, and the purpose of Karen saying, what do you do like which is like that's that to me is proper beautiful direction and I, I you know like I don't want to crap all over Jane like she's she made beautiful beautiful scenery but 
I wasn't connected to it the way that I wanted to. And, um, Robin, but you're bringing up some, some pretty great points in that. One is I do feel like it was created by AI. I mean, the, the way the shots were programmed, that the, the subject is programmed. They're like, oh, this is what won Academy Awards. We're going to have our subjects be like, they just like basically looked at data to determine yeah. how to make a movie and they made the film by data. But the difference between the movies that you brought up, the Tony Scott films, the Goodfellas, is those were shot on film. That one shot is so complex because there's a finite amount of material in a canister that as they walk mm -hmm. through it, there's a timing that, that's set up and the cost of that shot. So the complexity <clears throat> to pull that off technologically is so great that it was every shot had a purpose. Today, you know, digital filmmaking allows for just a whole bunch of stuff to be captured. So we're no longer drawn into that if they don't have that purpose behind it. So you really hit a key moment there. Right. And I do want to say this too about Power of the Dog, which is like from an audience perspective and consumption in terms of like what the stories are that people are liking to see. I don't want to take away from the story. It was important to tell and, and I, you know, it is what it was, but like, one of the things that I really want to fight for in when we see these kind of movies is like what it's not a comp at all, but it serves my purpose of telling us, which is shit's Creek. I want to see more healthy LGBTQ relationships. <laughs> no, for real. Like instead of, I love it. That's so smart. That's so smart. But it's true. Yeah. Like once we see, we keep seeing this story again and again of someone who's in the closet and it's toxic masculinity and he's, scared to come out and he's ashamed and the more the tent the intent i know is to do the opposite but i think that it's kind of reinforcing that people should be ashamed and i'm mm. i'm done with that now i want to see healthy normal lgbtq relationships because they exist and that's more important to me now to see and i think more important to the gay community and that's something that i think that we should be showing more of yeah than playing yeah. up the taboo yeah. of it right the taboo conversation you know that already. all right let's get to best actor because we can yeah. talk about this all day but we do probably yeah, have a sorry. real time limit um, to this thing <laughs> all right so uh there are five great actors uh, nominated here andrew garfield for tick tick boom benedict cumberbatch for the power of dog i talked about that Javier Bardem for Being the Ricardos, I think, which, which is a great film. Denzel Washington for The Tragedy of Macbeth, which if you ask me, the tragedy there is we're not mm. talking about it. Such a great shot and great moment film. And then finally, Will Smith for King Richard. You're going to have to pick one because we have one more to topic we want to talk about, which is actress. So uh, who's going to go first? Keith, why don't you go first? Who's your actor? Pick? I think this one's probably going to be Will Smith. Um, yeah, I just really? think okay. uh, he's taken every other award up to this point. Um, and I just think it feels like that's, that's where the momentum is going. I do have kind of a bone to pick with it. Cause my, my big thing has always been, you know, if you're, when you give a trophy for best actor, it should be someone who imagines the character out of the blue. Like they look at a page in the screen and they create a character. Will Smith, you know, he did do a very good job, but at the same time, he was imitating someone who actually lived. So he had something to work off of. And I feel like someone who creates a character out of nothing, like um, dessert, like, like well, listen, Macbeth's been done a million times, but still, you know, that that is a the way that performance is delivered from the, the clips that I've seen and everything like that. 
that's a, it, it elevates the craft. Whereas I feel like Will Smith is basically, he watched a lot of, of, of footage of Richard Williams and kind of captured his cadence and his movement and all that kind of stuff and just kind of imitated it. Which is Will Smith's brilliant, right? Pursuit of Happiness and Ali. Like he does a great job of embodying the character he's playing. And you, it's very, he portrays it very well. You, you don't ever feel like you're watching Will Smith when he's in that character. But again, my thing is like, if you're going to give it an award, it should be for someone who imagines it takes the, anyway. All right. That's a fair. How about you, Robin? What's yours pick? I mean, I think this year, I think it belongs to Will. I think it's Will's to lose. Um, although I could see Andrew Garfield sneaking in there and uh, getting some attention for Tick, Tick, Boom, because he's awesome. I mean, he's so good. He's so good in everything he does. Um, but it was kind of this uh, amazing performance that, uh, you know, really the same thing, though. I mean, he to Keith's point, he's imitating somebody else but kind of everybody is whether it's being the ricardos or you know yeah, they all are in the in this particular set yeah and and that doesn't bother me as much i just think to me it's either will or andrew for best actor robin it's almost like we shared notes i'm with you i think andrew garfield is Ooh. my pick he's the one i to, to watch him pull that character off and all the different talent he has to had to put together to pull that character off for the film was great the directing was really great for yeah. him um, I don't know if I'm responding to the the big push, but I the Benedict Cumberbatch. I know that he probably deserves some credit for it, but I felt like I've just been force fed saccharin of his character for for months now, trying to get this Oscar to him that I think it did him mm. a disservice. Um, but I I think Will Smith is just being Will Smith. I I think he that's the how he acts, and those are the characters we're always going to see him step up in. It's either that, or we're going to see him play Fresh Prince on. Because that's the other other character he plays in films is right the one where he's yep. the Will Smith dude, bad boys right. guy doing his thing, uh, Men in Black thing. Or we're going to see him actually reenact somebody, and I think he did a great job of stepping in there. And again, like I wasn't, I was watching, um, you know, the, uh, the not Will Smith, but the person he was portraying mm-hmm. the entire time, which was really great. Okay, actress, ready? Jessica Chastain, Eyes of Tammy Faye, Olivia Coleman, The Lost Daughter. Kristen Stewart, Sir Spencer, Nicole Kidman, being the Ricardos, and Penelope Cruz, Mattress Parallels. Parallel Mothers, I think. Madrid's Parallels. Yeah, it's Parallel Mothers. Yeah, Yeah, I should learn accent. All right, Robin, this one's yours. Which one are we going to pick here? Best actress. Um, It's tough. I mean, look, I think it's probably Jessica Chastain's. Um, I think it's hers to lose Mm -hmm. this year. Um, I think... I mean, look, for me, I wanted Katrona Belf. I, I don't know if I'm saying her name right, but the woman from Belfast that who wasn't even nominated, like she was <laughs> someone who I thought should be Incredible. there. But yeah. um, more so than others, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's going to be Jessica. I think that, you know, Olivia is amazing in everything she does, but I don't know that the Academy is going to do it, you know, so quick or so close to when she just received an award. Um, unfortunately, I don't know that they think that way, but they might, right? So... Um, I think it's going to be probably Jessica Chastain. Jessica. Yeah. How about you, Keith? Uh, I think that's probably correct, but I, I feel like Penelope Cruz might come out and sneak it away. The, the I Nova, haven't seen that. I haven't seen it either, but I've read a lot of really raving press about her in that role. And, you know, I don't know. I just, I, I, you're right. The momentum is definitely towards Jessica and it feels like it's hers to lose, but I think Penelope has a really good shot at being a surprise. 
Um, I I think it's Jessica Chastain too, just because of the press that she's getting. I think she's going to win. Um, I'll say I'll, I'll speak like I wish Kristen Stewart. I'm sure she's great in Spencer, but I just don't know if I. I think that's the lost nomination. To your point, uh, Robin and and the actress from Belfast should have easily stepped in there more easily. Um, there is such a great connection she had to the character she was playing, and you know to watch someone play. Uh, 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 what's her name? Uh, um, who does she play in Spencer? Diana. Uh, Princess Diana. Princess Diana. Diana, thank you. <laughs> I was like, I, I had the <laughs> other queen in my head. Princess Diana. But here's one thing that I found interesting and I'd point out. Both Javier Bardem and Nicole Kidman both got nominated for being the Ricardos, which is interesting to me because the movie is really great and kind of shows this how that movie stepped up in an interesting way that both actors are being recognized for their roles too. So it gives an overall presence of really what being the Ricardos did. And they did, they were Lucy and Desi. I know that. And they were telling a basic story, but Aaron Sorkin's story and the way he he told the story was really awesome. So um, I just love that they're being recognized for that. Do you want to do one more? Yeah. Sure. If we, we're not going too long. Best, <laughs> yeah. best time director. Do best director. Who wants to... Wants to dive into best director here. I mean, I wish Denny was, uh, yeah. you know, was recognized in this category. I think it. Come on. Like, I, I mean, look. <laughs> this is the one where Spielberg. Spielberg snuck in because he's no Spielberg way. over Denny. Also, Paul Thomas Anderson, who I love. Like, I didn't think Licorice Pizza was one of his special movies. Even like, I didn't that I didn't connect with that movie as much. Like, I felt like that movie was like, you know, American Graffiti and Days and Confused um, adopted a baby. They didn't have a baby, right? It wasn't their baby, but they, they adopted, adopted one. it. That's Meaning, awesome. like, it's not quite theirs, but it has it like be. influence. It's like from raising them. Arizona right. meets. <laughs> right. right. But like, that's what, so it just didn't deliver for me. Um, and whereas like Dune absolutely did. So I think, you know, Denny uh, got robbed yes. out of that. Um, but yeah. for me, it's an easy, easy like give to Kenneth Branagh. Easily, mm-hmm. I think the best direction of everyone who's nominated. Yeah, I agree. How about you, Keith? Well, I think uh, I would. I, I mean, listen. I again, I haven't seen them all, so I can't qualify that. But I would say that it looks like the the momentum's Jane. Jane. Yeah, she. I mean, she won mm-hmm. the DGA award. Usually, that's a pretty good barometer of who's going to win Best Director. So yeah. I have a feeling it's going to. Although she did make some rather. Uh, disparate remarks towards Venus and Serena Williams during yeah. her acceptance speech, which kind of dung- dinged her a little bit. So I don't know if that's going to affect. Yeah. Odd move there. Right. Like what do you, yeah, really weird. I don't know why you get up there and just like, <laughs> yeah. Hey, by the way, I did this and you, you know, what, 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 what why did she say that? Also, here's the thing that's so funny about it. Like they were, in the race for the same award, like, like meaning that they're, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, it, to me, it's like, yeah, I, know, I didn't get it either. Was- they're not competing with her. She, that's not the real. It, it felt like she was just, she just was looking to be like, I don't know, poke somebody just, yes, exactly. Pat herself on the back a little bit and say, look at what, look at me. Um, but I think she's, I, I think she's got a really good shot and, you know, given sort of the identity politics era in which we currently live, you know, Denying it to a very accomplished female director, um, I think would probably not go over well with the Academy. So I think they're probably going to give it to Jane. 
Not that she doesn't deserve yeah, it in like, some ways, so but and condescending as a woman that annoys me that because then that's well, yeah, I agree. I, I totally agree. She gets it because she's a woman. Whereas like, I'm sorry, I don't think that, you know, and this is just my opinion. I know a lot of people disagree with me, but like yeah. uh, she didn't connect. It just felt like a bunch of scenes, really great scenes with actors, yeah. like, but none of them, they were like, none of them were interwoven together. It was just very. It felt like a bunch of vignettes put together yeah. with like an overarching. Yeah. Well, right. Again, AI chose Jane Champion to be the director because AI said that would win the Oscar. That was a, that yeah. was a wonderful, that was, that, that analogy was spot on because that, it, yeah. when you look back on it, you're like, wow. He's right. It does feel like an AI put together movie. Like they just fed yeah. it into the system and this is what sped up. But look, yeah, Netflix like, has well, like you guys the know best, uh, they have, you know, a whole awards division led by Lisa Tabak, who's one of the best in the yeah. business. Like you right. know, she's, there's a reason why it's, it's being talked yeah. about. Yeah. Well, you guys know my my choice for best director. It's Steven Spielberg. So we've talked about that enough. You guys clearly. <laughs> well, that's my favorite. That's my pick, right? Because I love me some Spielberg. Leave Steven alone. He I'm did, not, it's he... not him. It's just that I don't understand why that film was made. It just is a replica of a 40-year-old film without adding any new context. I feel like if you gave that to Kenneth Branagh, or our director that had a perspective, we would see today's world reflected in that storyline. And there, I just felt like I don't, I didn't even, I didn't even feel nostalgia walking watching that film. I just <laughs> felt like I was watching a high school performance of Ooh. a famous musical, re, redoing all the oh, original boy. shots in the original form. Like, I, like there was, there was no reason for it. That's I all. might just turn off my camera on this one. I think Ron's going to go. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. No, I don't look, I don't disagree. I don't disagree with that, but I don't um I, I don't have a problem with it. To me, like I said, it's just a love letter. It was just a love letter to the original. And if anyone can do that, I it's know. Steven. To me, the problem is that but they, best, Robin, best. The word best means like they did something. Well, the problem with it is that um they spent too much money on it. Right. Like because it didn't it under delivered at box office. They didn't make money back in the long run. So it wasn't the best business decision, I don't think. But like I didn't I, I thought it was beautiful. I thought it, it was a love letter. Like I said, I thought that the the dance sets and the dance set pieces were beautiful and amazing. So I, I actually didn't have a problem. I know, but that's what the, it should be. Why should I mean, come on, that's it's a of course it's going to have a great dance in it. That's what the it's a musical with dance in it. Well, Keith can't comment on this because he always has a reputation with Spielberg from his fast company <laughs> ah. article. He can't really mention Keith Spielberg no. again, but we know it. I, I think my it. feelings are well known at this point. <laughs> All right. Listen, we could do this forever, but Robin, I love having you on. Can you come back, please, sooner than later? Maybe we should uh, do a recap of this. I think in the next couple of oh. weeks we have people yeah. stepping in, but let's let's see how we our picks played out over time. Okay, and yeah. See if we, Whenever uh, y'all come back, I'll come back and we'll talk. All right, sweet. All right, good to see you guys this week. Hope a great weekend. Enjoy the show. Maybe we'll be texting each other halfway through. Yeah, we please sure do. We well, are. perhaps we will. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Thank thanks, guys. you, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye.